0: Our sermon text this morning is also from the ninth chapter of Mark. It's the passage that follows the passage which we read together earlier. I prefer to preach when I'm preaching uh, sequentially. That is uh, one passage, and then the next passage, then the next passage. Uh, I did that when I, I went through Ephesians, and then more recently through the eighth chapter of Romans. and And one of the benefits that I really like about preaching that way is that it provides us with context. Wherever we're reading, we we have the context uh, in in which we find that we understand the context that the author is giving us for that passage. And I. I really enjoy that, that's a a benefit that helps, but I'm going to be doing something different today and then also uh, throughout Lent when I'm preaching on Wednesday nights. I'm going to do more of a thematic series, a series that deals with uh, the topic of faith and doubt. And so today will be the the first sermon on that. I figured faith is something we all need and doubt is something that we all have, and so A topic that I thought would be quite helpful for us to look at and hopefully be encouraged. I'd like to really once more encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. It is really a wonderful time of fellowship as we share in meals with one another and then worship together. Uh, I have been blessed in the past by the Wednesday night services and I trust that you would be blessed as well if you are to be there. Uh, Today's scripture lesson, like I said, comes from Uh, the book of Mark, chapter 9. And I remind you that this is falling within the context of the part of Mark that deals with seeing Jesus, having spiritual sight. We see it within that context. We understand and we read now from the word of God. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. and he arose and when he entered the house his disciples asked him privately why could we not cast it out and he said to them this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our god stands forever let us pray heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you that you have given it to us we thank you that we can see you more clearly because of it. Give us eyes to see today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this is in this second section of Mark, dealing with spiritual sight, dealing with seeing. And we see in this section, Mark tells this story. It's a story that's told in... All three of what are called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark's telling of this story is the most detailed, but there are details that we can glean glean from Matthew's telling and Luke's telling as well that are not included here. Matthew tells us that, that when this man came up to Jesus, he kneeled before him. And Luke gives us a couple other details. He tells us that this happened the next day, that is the day after the transfiguration and also tells us that the man said to Jesus that this is my only son he is his beloved and we see like any parent this father loves his son and he is agonized over the situation that his son is in it it reads as we read it in in the Verses 18 and 20 and 22 talk about the symptoms that he has. And it reads a lot as if it's like uh, almost epileptic seizures that he has. But the text is clear of this. Whatever we want to call this situation that the son is in, it is very clear that it is not merely the misfiring of electrical impulses in his brain. The text is very clear to us here that the cause of this problem is an unclean spirit, an evil spirit. Now I don't know what you think about evil spirits and whether that is a hang up for you or not, but I want to tell you that that is what the Word of God says is the situation here. We need to deal with two things real quick. One is that we need to know that that not all sickness in the Bible is attributed to evil spirits. not everything that happens that goes wrong is because there is an evil spirit hiding behind the bush. That's not what the Bible teaches, but it is teaching that in this particular case, that is what is going on. That is what Mark believes. That is what the man's father believes. And most importantly, it is what Jesus believes. So it is also what we ought to believe as well. We see in those verses, that this evil spirit would seize the boy, it would throw him down, he would foam and grind his teeth, he would become rigid, he would roll about, and often the spirit would cast him into the fire and into the water, wanting to destroy him. Now this is quite obviously a terrible problem. But I am here to tell you that that is not the fundamental problem in this text. It would be easy for us to see the fundamental problem in this text is this physical problem that this boy has of of this spirit and the things it is causing him to do and the damage it is causing to him, the danger it is putting him in. But there is a more fundamental problem that this text deals with, and that problem is a problem we all share, and that is that we lack faith. Now, first of all, I need to define what I mean when I say the word faith because our culture defines faith very differently than the Bible defines faith. When culture speaks of faith, we hear, hear things said like people of faith or or uh, a multi-faith gathering perhaps is a phrase you might have heard. And The idea is simply that somebody who believes in any higher being, believes in any God, believes in anything uh, and, and trusts trust in them and, and that's what culture talks about as faith. But when the Bible talks about faith or belief, it's the same word in Greek, what it's talking about is is not just any belief, but belief specifically in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. When the Bible talks about faith, that is what it's talking about. And if we are to believe that, if we are to have a true belief in Jesus as the Messiah, then that necessitates his lordship, in our life, all of life, all of the time. This is the fundamental need we have, and its lack is a problem we all share. First we see it in unbelievers. We can see the example here of the scribes who, who are the religious leaders of the day. They know Scripture better than anyone. And yet, even though they know Scripture, they don't know Jesus. That's their problem. They know scripture, but they don't know Jesus. And perhaps you've known people like that. Perhaps you are a person like that. Maybe you grew up in the church. You went to Sunday school. You memorized your Bible. You have a a list of Bible verses you have memorized. You know all the stories that are in the Bible. You know the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can name all the books. You can name all the characters. You know it forward and backward, but you don't know Jesus. That's possible. It's possible and it's a dreadful situation. And then there's the crowd here that runs and greets Jesus in verse 15. But I fear that the crowd does not run and greet Jesus because they know Jesus and because they love Jesus, but rather they do it, it, the text says, because they're amazed. He has done certain things. Remember, this has come after the bulk of his miracles that he has performed. They have been amazed by what he has done and what he can do for them. And yet Jesus calls them, in verse 19, a faithless generation. You see, they would have not considered themselves faithless. They believed in God. They even believed in the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But yet Jesus calls them faithless because they do not trust in him. Faith is not faithless merely loving Jesus for what he can do for us. It is loving Jesus for who he is. It's an important distinction and a distinction that we need to make. We need to trust in Jesus. If you have not trusted in Jesus for your salvation, then I hope and pray that you will. Because the reality of the situation is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We deserve God's wrath, each and every one of us. From the most vile offender here to the most holy person in this sanctuary. Every one of us deserves the wrath of God. And it is only a matter of his grace that we will not receive it. His grace which has been poured out to us in Jesus Christ as he poured out his blood for us upon the cross and if we would be cleansed by that blood then we are free from God's wrath because Jesus received that wrath on our behalf if you have not trusted in Jesus already I pray that you will today if you have questions about what that means or what that looks like then please come talk to me, come talk to an elder here in the church. Know that that is something we would love to talk to you about. But I said this is a problem, not just for unbelievers, it's a problem that we all share, this lack of faith. Those who believe in Jesus, those who trust in Jesus, those who are Christ's followers, suffer from a lack of faith too. And we see this example in the disciples. If we look in verses 18 and 19 and then, Later on in the chapter, verses 28 and 29, they kind of show us this, note. they? The disciples, uh, it says, were not able to cast out this demon. Literally, it says they were not strong enough to cast out the demon. Now, we need to realize that this is something that Jesus had previously commissioned the disciples to do. He had sent them out, commissioned them, said, you are to go out and cast out demons. And they had actually been rather successful at it. They had gone about and they had cast out demons. They had experienced success. They had done it. They were able to do this. But now comes this man with his son. He brings them to him and they are stymied. They are unable as Christ's ambassadors to do the work that Christ commissioned them to do. And that represents quite poorly upon Christ. It's the same with us. When we are unable to do the things that Christ has commissioned us to do that represents Him in quite a poor light. And So it is that we need to, instead of going about trying to do things in our own power, we need to trust in Him and do things by His power, by His strength. That's the problem the disciples had, they, they lacked the power that was necessary because, Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. We see in that statement a couple things. First of all, that there is power in prayer. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is really power in prayer? Do you believe that when you pray that it accomplishes things? James tells us, In chapter 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There is power in prayer. The disciples failed here because they didn't pray. Jesus said, had they prayed, they would have been able to drive out this demon. But because they didn't pray, they lacked the power to do that. They were not able And so we see that the disciples failed because they lacked faith. Now you might say, wait a second, Pete, why why do you say they lacked faith? We've already said that they they trusted him, They, they followed him, they gave up everything they had to follow him. In fact, just a chapter or so ago, they had proclaimed that he is the Messiah. Isn't that what you said you needed to do? You need to trust in him as your Lord, as your Savior. You need to follow him completely. And that is what we need to do. But I am saying that they did not show faith in that instance. It's really a pretty easy case to make because if we look in Matthew's telling of this same story, he says specifically that Jesus told them that they were not able to drive it out because they lacked faith. You see, faith and prayer are tied together. They are tied together because prayer is faith put into action. Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. I think it's quite well stated. If you don't pray, it is either because you have very few problems or you have very little faith. Those are the two options. Either you have very few problems or very little faith. Those are the only two reasons that you would not pray. And if we aren't praying as much as we should, and I am the first to admit that I don't pray as much as I should, And it's because at the root, we don't believe our prayers will be answered. We lack faith and like the disciples, it is right for God to lump us into this faithless generation, even though we have trusted in him. Now, when I say we need to pray, I'm not just talking about going through the motions. Uh, We need to avoid what Joel Beakey calls prayerless praying. I think it's a Good phrase, prayerless praying, you know, when you just kind of go through the motions, but there's no real communication happening. The story is told of a couple monks who made a bet with each other. I'm not sure exactly what kind of monks are allowed to make bets, but uh, the one monk bet another monk his horse. He said, I'll bet you my horse that you can't say the Lord's Prayer without your mind wandering. The other monk thought, well, this is awfully easy, I'll go ahead and do that and he began to pray, our Father who art in heaven, I wonder what kind of horse. (laughs) Isn't that the way we often pray though? We start to pray and our mind just kind of wanders and and there's really just kind of a rote mechanic nature to it. That's not what we need to be doing. Our prayers need to be our truly unburdening our heart before the Lord. That's what he wants. He wants to communicate with us. If we are his children, of course he does. Anyone who, anyone who has a parent or who has a child knows that there, it is good for there to be communication there. It is sweet for there to be communication there. And it, it is bad, it is a, it's not a good thing when that communication is broken, when when there is just a formality to it. That's not a good thing. If God is our Father, He wants to communicate with us. He wants us to communicate with Him. We need to unburden our hearts to Him, share our concerns with Him, because Jesus urges us to pray. In Matthew 7, He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow. And Luke tells us that the very point of that story is that we ought to pray and not lose heart. And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are to pray without ceasing. And I ask you this, stop and consider right now as we sit here. Are we the kind of church that these things could be said of us? When we have a need is our first impulse to fall to our knees before God and to pour out our heart to him. Are we the kind of church that prays without losing heart? even when it seems that God is not answering our prayers. Are we the type of church that prays without ceasing? Now I'm not trying to pass judgment on you. I'm not trying to pass judgment on us. But what I am saying is this, to the degree that we are like this, we are exercising And to the degree that we fail to be like this, we are rightly called by Jesus a faithless generation. So how do we solve this? Well, it's quite simple. We trust Jesus. We trust Jesus. We trust Jesus that we might be saved through faith, and we trust Jesus that we might be saved to faith. You see, faith is not just what gets us in the door. It is the means by which we live our day-to-day existence. One pastor put it this way, he said, an active, working, depending faith in Christ is the daily calling of Christ's followers and the children of God. This doesn't mean our faith needs to be perfect. Far from it. No doubt we will fail Many times, in many ways. But we need to note, for instance, this Father, this Father in this passage. He's the key to the whole thing, I think. When we see how he comes before Jesus, we see both the failings and we see what we should do. The Father comes before Jesus, and note what he says. In verse 22, he says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He says, if you can do anything, if, if you're able, if you're strong enough, Jesus, if you have the power to do something, you will help it. You see, he trusts in Jesus' compassion. He, he knows that Jesus is willing. He, he doesn't doubt that at all. What he doubts is Jesus' ability. Contrast this with the leper who's talked about in the first chapter of Mark who comes to Jesus and says exactly the opposite thing. He says, "He says, I know you can heal me if only you will, if you're willing to. So, so we see that we can go either way with this, can't we? Sometimes we can trust in Jesus' strength but not trust his willingness to help us. Other times we, we trust his willingness to help us but we're not sure if he really can both of those are errors to either side. We, we don't know what the situation is exactly. We need to trust Jesus always. Now, Now, I do want to add this caveat. He's not always willing to give us what we want. He is always willing to help us. But that's not the same as being willing to give us what we want. My children, for instance, might come to me one day and say, Dad, we, we'd really like to have chocolate for breakfast today, milkshakes for lunch, and cake, cake and cookies for dinner. And I, as much as I might enjoy that myself, being a loving father who is wiser than they would not allow that. I would not give that to them. It's not that I'm unwilling to help them. It's not that I'm unwilling to give them what what they need. It's I'm unwilling to give them something that will harm them. I'm unwilling to give them what is not best for them. And so it is that God will give us what is best for us, but sometimes what we ask for is not what is best for us. I'm also sometimes unable to give my children the things that they want, even if I want to. This is where God is very different than us. He is eminently able. There is nothing he can't do. And Jesus responds almost incredulously here, doesn't he? When the man says, if you can, he says, if you can, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, do you know who I am? Just yesterday I stood on top of that mountain. Transfigured in glory as God spoke from the heavens and said, This is my son, listen to him. I am the one who has stilled the waters of the stormy sea by the speaking of a single word. I am the one who, by the power of my word, created all things. And you say, If you can? There is no reason for us to ever doubt what Jesus can do. There is no reason to doubt. All things are possible for the one who believes, he says. Why is that? Because for the one who believes, Jesus is for him. Jesus is for the one who believes. If you believe, if you trust in Christ Jesus, then Christ Jesus is for you. What a wonderful truth that is. What a wonderful truth. And because of this, you can have freedom to admit when your faith is sometimes less than 100% because you know that Jesus is for you. It is not your faith that is most important, not the the perfection of your faith, but rather the perfection of Christ Jesus that matters. And that's why the man can say in verse 24, and this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. That should be my heart's cry every day. Lord God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus answers not according to the weakness of the man's faith, but rather he answers according to the riches of his own grace. And he pours out mercy. You see, because there's no virtue whatsoever in faith unless it is hooked up to the right source. A couple of years ago, we had a house behind us in our neighborhood that burnt down. And, and one, of the, one of the terrible things, one of the just heart-wrenching things is, as we stood there and watched was, was there, there are no fire hydrants in our neighborhood. And so, so when they ran out of water, they had to leave and go get more water and bring it there. And there were firemen standing around with their hoses, unable to do anything because they didn't have water. Their hoses were great hoses. I mean, they were the big fire hoses, amazing. You know, I mean, these are, these are heavy-duty hoses. They're the best hoses that you could possibly have. But they'd have been better off to have garden hoses with water as opposed to fire hoses without. And that's what this man is saying here in this passage. He's saying, I have garden hose faith. But it's hooked up to the water source. And that's what matters. It's hooked up to the water source. And so we can admit our faith is weak, even though we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We'd rather keep up some facade about our spirituality. We'd rather pretend we're strong behind it and and just work, 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 work. But rather what we need to do is realize that God's love does not depend on us. We did not do anything to awaken it. and We cannot do anything to put it out. We need to rest in it, to rejoice in it, and let that grace and that love fuel our faith so that our faith grows and builds and gets stronger and strong. Not only can we admit our faith is weak, but we must. We must admit our faith is weak, for when we decrease, Christ increases. Where we are weak, he becomes strong. And that's exactly what's happening in this verse 24, where the Father says, I believe, help my unbelief. And look, in closing here, how Jesus responds. He sees the crowd running. He rebukes the spirit. He says to it, I command you, get out never come back again. And crying out in verse 26, convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, verse 26 tells us. Like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. But then look what happens. Look what Jesus does. In verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand. He lifted him up and he arose. What a beautiful picture that is. You see, brothers and sisters, that is exactly our story. We lay there dead in our sins, children of wrath, completely unable to help ourselves. And Jesus, in his tender mercy, reaches out he grabs us by the hand he lifts us up and we arise we arise to a new life a life of humble faith a life which says I believe help my unbelief let us pray Our Lord and our God we thank you so much so much for your grace we thank you that though we were dead you have made us alive we pray that the life we live might not be wasted now but might be lived to your glory might be lived as a life of faith a life that trusts in you but a life that is willing to admit when we are failing in faith, and a life that instead of trying harder, instead turns to you for strength, fueled by the grace which is ours in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.